for many, Christmas is the reminder of something painful. For many, Christmas is the reminder of the table and it is the reminder of the dad that never sat there or it is the reminder of the year that your parents divorced and never came back together. Or maybe for you, it is the reminder of all the years that your dad did sit there or your mom did sit there and this year they're not going to be there. Or if they are going to be there, it's just not going to be the same. Maybe for you, you, you expected that by this point in your life that you would have a family of your own. You would have a husband or a wife of your own. You would have kids of your own. Or you would have a little one for you and your husband. And things just haven't worked out that way. Things don't look the way that you expected them to look. And the pain that you have and the difficulties that you faced and the the tension that's in your house and the tension that's in your family, it's real and it's hard. And for some reason, as you get on Facebook and as you see all the decorations and you see all the lights and you see all the trees, it's especially painful. And the pain is poignant and it's real. It's, It's not imaginary. This morning, what we're going to see is that Christ, the coming of Christ for you allows you to walk in a faith, faith and hope that is equally as real as the pain that you face. It it allows you to to have a, a hope in the midst of all of the reminders of the difficulty and in the midst of all of the the poignancy of your pain that that is equally as as hopeful and as equally as 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 possible for you. For others is it's not a painful time. For others it is a reminder of something that is powerful. It's nostalgic maybe. It's a, it's a reminder that wherever you are in your life there's home. It's a reminder for you of, of traditions and a fire in your family's living room and your dad and the, uh, the joy that was on his face may be different on, differently at that time of year than any other time of year. It's a reminder of, of, of family and, and songs and it's everybody gathering around and seeing people that you don't get to see any other time of the year and maybe forgetting troubles that you have trouble forgetting at other times of the year. It's remembering when your kids were were little and all the things that they did. It's it's going back to a simpler time or a better time or a different time. It's it's getting together with with just your family and reading the the Christmas story. It's it's honoring Christ or it's it's being generous. It's it's just a sweet time of, of remembrance for you. And for you, it's, it's equally true that, that God has wired into our hearts the, the joy of home and the reality of home and the, the power of home. And what we're going to see for us this morning, that Christ came and Christ came to secure for us the reality of a greater home, of a future home, of our true home. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now? To 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Once you get there, would you stand with me as we prepare to read God's word together? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and 
We'll read the first ten verses there together. God's inerrant and sufficient word says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we have grown, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. This morning you may be seated. So this morning we're really picking up where we left off about two weeks ago at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I know, I know that seems a bit odd that we, we got to the end of 2 Corinthians 4 and then we moved and left that and went to Ephesians chapter 5 and now we're coming back to, to kind of clean that up. So, so let me kind of give you a little bit of rhyme or reason. So we kind of construct Advent series in a, in a particular way. To, to follow uh, kind of uh, uh, the, the scope of the gospel, okay? To, to kind of to f- follow the shape of the gospel the, or the shape of the biblical narrative, okay? So, so it's constructed in a particular way. So every year when we, when we preach the, the, the Advent series, you, if you think back, and you probably have trouble putting this together, so I want to kind of clarify this. So every week, in the first week of the Advent series, we always look at the sinfulness of man. And we typically look at this from an Old Testament prophecy of some sort, but we always look at this, we always look first at the sinfulness of man. And then in the second week, we always look at the redemption of Christ, the redemptive work of Christ. And then in the third week, we always look at the sanctifying work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And in the fourth week, we always look at the future promises that Christ has made for us, the future promises that Christ has secured for us in his second coming, in his second advent, okay? So that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a method to the madness here. There's a reason that we did 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we looked at the destruction of these clay pots that we have a few weeks ago and the redemption of Christ of these, these earthen vessels. And now we've come back to this this week to see this future hope that we have that Christ has secured for his second coming this week, okay? So what I want us to see this morning is I think we see really three movements in the text. We see three real movements in the text. And what I want us to do is I want us to zero in and lock in on really one word, one word that I I see from each of those three movements in the text that I think we gain a rock-solid assurance from, okay? So we see three movements in the text, and from those movements, I think we can lock in on one really life-giving word that gives us some rock-solid assurance from Christ's coming, from Christ's advent, okay? So... The first movement that I think we see in the text comes from 
uh, verses 1 through 5. Okay, so I think we see these, these, four, these three, four statements that kind of culminates in verse 5 when he says, okay, and God prepares you. You see, four, 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 and God has prepared you. All right? Now, the word I want us to lock in on here is the word guarantee. Guarantee. That's a good word, all right? That's, that's, like, that's like a used car salesman word, right? Like, I guarantee, right? Like, you tracking with me? Well, man, this is a great word. This is a life-giving word. And what I want us to see is that Christ's advent is our guarantee for the future. Christ's advent is our guarantee from the future. I didn't invent this word. This is a word we get from the scripture in verse 5, right? Verse 5, it says, He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. As a guarantee. So this is in the mind of Paul here, right? So in verse 1, he starts off talking about something that we all know. He starts talking about this tent, this tent that we have. Now, understand what he means by tent. He's talking about our bodies. He's talking about our bodies. It's a, it's a metaphor for our bodies. Now, why is Paul talking about our bodies? Now, you have to understand that this is something that's very familiar with Paul, with, to Paul. Paul is a tent maker, okay? This is what Paul is by trade. Paul builds tents. He's familiar with tents. He knows tents. Now, you're talking to a guy up here that has lived about half of his life in a tent, okay? Until my wife had kids, bless her heart, she lived about half of her life in a tent. She vacationed in a tent, okay? We lived in a tent. I, I, I love tents. Now, I, one night, I, I had to, uh, we camped, and uh, I slept with the rainbow people, and nothing separating me from the rainbow people except a piece of thin nylon, okay? Not exactly the most restful night of my life. There was another occasion in which Megan and I, we were camping up in North Georgia, right? And uh, Vogel State Park. And we're, we're in our tent, and it's been raining and raining and raining. And so there's really nothing that you can do except just be in the tent, right? And so we're in the tent, and I remember I was reading a book. And we're, we're laying in the tent, and we had this huge cooler, and the cooler was just loaded down with ice and Cokes and just, you know, I mean, you know how you do when you camp, right? I mean, you got everything that you own inside of this giant cooler, and it was in the back of my truck. And then all of a sudden, I hear this cooler crash to the ground out of the back of my truck. And then I think to myself, now I'm not real bright, but I think to myself, using the, the sound reasoning skills that I have, Raccoons can't throw giant coolers filled with Cokes. Squirrels can't throw giant coolers filled with Cokes. And I realize we have an issue, right? Like, I can't throw giant coolers filled with Cokes, right? And I go out, and I go, and we have a bear in our, you know, like, it, and this is very much Paul's point. This is very much Paul's point is that when he's making this comparison for our bodies to tents, is that our bodies are vulnerable in the ways that tents are vulnerable, right? If you live in a tent and not in a house, if you sleep in the midst of predator country in a tent, you are vulnerable to the predators, aren't you? 
And if you sleep in a tent, I've, I've been privileged in my life, having lived quite a bit in a tent, to have some nice tents. I worked in a backpacking, uh, in a backpacking store and got discounts on tents. Man, I got the good ones, man. But if you have a good tent, I don't care how good it is. If you live in the woods long enough and stay in them long enough, a good tent wears out. And you become vulnerable, and the vulnerable tent eventually gives way and gives out. And this is Paul's point. This is Paul's point, is that we are in bodies that are vulnerable to the brokenness of this world. We are in, we are in tents, and we have bodies that are giving out and giving way. We have bodies that are vulnerable to cancer. We have, we have bodies that are vulnerable to neurological breakdowns. We have bodies that are vulnerable to attacks from people that we don't see and from issues that we don't see and from illnesses that we don't understand. We have, we have bodies that are eventually all going to die. We have bodies that are temporary, right? Tents are not permanent structures. Tents wear out. Tents can be attacked. And that's what our bodies are. And every single one of us fully understand the vulnerability, the temporal nature of a tent. And that's who we are. He says, but, but. And what I want you to understand is the bookended nature of what Paul's saying. He says this in verse 1, and then he's going to land here again in verse 5. He's going to say it in verse 1, and then he's going to say it again in verse 5. He says, we have this tent. We're living in this temporary shelter. We're living in this vulnerable shelter. But we have something better. Not we might get something better. Do you see this? Look in your Bibles. Verse 1. Not we might get something better. Not we hope for something better. Not we're looking forward. We have something better. Circle the word have. Underline the word have. There's a promise there, brothers and sisters, from the scriptures. We have a building from God. We're guaranteed something. We're guaranteed something. Christ has secured something for us. Your tent is giving way. Your tent is vulnerable. Your tent is temporary. Your tent is failing. Oh, brothers and sisters, we just watched Edwin. We just watched Edwin, didn't we? It was hard. This past week, our brother Scott lost his mom and his dad in the same week. It was hard, wasn't it? We've had too much of that around here. It's hard. Many of you right now, this time, the Christmas season, you're, you're looking and you're perhaps thinking of having to bury people that you love. It's hard, isn't it? These temporary bodies are giving way. These tents are giving way. But we who are in Christ have something greater promised to us. We have something greater that is guaranteed for us. Something that 1 Corinthians 15, and this is already a promise that is in Paul's mind. Something that is imperishable. Something that is immortal. Something that will not fade away. We have a building from God. Something that is eternal. Something that is not made by human hands. Something that has been made by the very hands of God. Something not made by a tent maker like Paul. Something made by the eternal hands of Almighty God Himself. Laid brick. By brick, didn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you? Isn't that what Jesus said? See, Christ came for us. Christ 
came for us. And then, then brothers and sisters, he went for us. Then he went to prepare for us. But oh, he's coming back for us again. He's coming back for us again. And so right out of the gate, as he talks about the reality of the tent, and he talks about the suffering of the tent, and he talks about the vulnerability of the tent, he talks about the vulnerability of the tent in light of the guarantee of the building. We have a building. But then he bookends it. He bookends it because there's a question in our minds, isn't there? There's a question in our minds. How can we really know? How can we really know that? Okay, okay, Paul. You tell me that I have an eternal building. You tell me that I have the promise of a building. But how can I actually know that I have a building? All I really know is that I wake up in the morning and my shoulders hurt. All that I really know is that I wake up in the morning and I still have cancer. All that I really know is that I wake up in the morning and I still battle depression. All that I really know is that I wake up in the morning and my loved ones, they're still gone. All I really know is that I wake up in the morning and I still battle the vulnerability of this temporary body that I am living in. How can I really know this promise is true? How can I really know that the guarantee that you have made to me is actual? How can I know that? You see, in, the, in verses 2 through 4, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection. He, he's talking about, when, he, when he's talking about being clothed in something new, being clothed, but not, not being naked, not taking off something, but being clothed in life, being clothed in, in greater life, being, being so clothed in life that it swallows up death. What he's talking about here is being raised to life. Your own resurrection, right? You got to remember what he talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that, that you're not, your, your bodies aren't just some disembodied spirits floating around. That was the platonic thought of the day, that your body was something to be hated. But that wasn't the idea. You're going to be raised in a literal bodies. And so he's talking to them about this, this literal resurrection. And so he's saying, he, there, there's, he's talking in mind, he has in mind this, this real and literal resurrection. And so this is very much in his mind. And so this is what he says. You can know. Because when Christ was raised, when Christ was raised, he sent you the Spirit. You can know, you can know because the Spirit is in you, the Spirit dwells within you, and the Spirit too is your guarantee. The Spirit is proclaiming to you on earth. The Spirit is dwelling within your tabernacle. The Spirit is dwelling within this temporary tent. And He is preaching to you the truth about your eternal building. The, tr the Spirit is living inside of you and He's telling you, attesting to you the reality that one day you're going to be with God in an everlasting body. The Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives within you and living within you. He is testifying to you that he's going to raise you up to. How can you know? Because the Spirit is there. 
The Spirit is there and He is telling you. How can you know? Because Jesus, Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to win. And Jesus didn't just win for, your, for Himself. Jesus won for you. Jesus didn't just come to, to, to die for your sin. And Jesus didn't just come to raise for Himself. And Jesus didn't just come to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Jesus came to ascend to the right hand of the Father and to send His Spirit to you. And when the Spirit came to you, the Spirit indwelt you. And now the Spirit testifies to you. And He is your guarantee. You see, the word guarantee there is the word that we get the word earnest money for. The idea of earnest money. You know, like if you go and buy a house, you have to give earnest money, right? You have to give earnest money. You have to give earnest money to show that you're serious, right? It's like a down payment. It's a deposit to show that you're really a serious buyer. To show that you have the rest of the money, maybe not your money, but the bank's money behind you, right? To, to show that the other, the rest of the quarter mill's coming, right? Like, like they're not just going to say, hey, yeah, out of the goodness of our heart, let's just sign this over to you, right? I mean, the concept here, the concept here is that the, the Father sends the Spirit on behalf of the Son to indwell you, to indwell you, to say, to say, this is the deposit. This is the earnest money. This is the down payment of the day that is to come. Of the second advent of my son. When the new heavens and the new earth will be established. When your resurrected body. When your permanent building will replace that beaten down, cancer ridden, broken down tent. When your victory is final. When you will know, when you will know everything that my son has secured for you. This is just the down payment. But it is your guarantee that I will do everything that I have said I will do. That I am everything that I say that I am. That my son has won for you everything that he has said that he has won for you. That my son has come and he has secured for you your future with me. And it is an understanding these bookended guarantees in verse one and in verse five, understanding these bookended guarantees that you understand and you can, you can then begin to apply verses two through four, I think. Let's read verses two through four together again. It says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if needed. By putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, if you take that passage and you lay it side by side with what Paul says in Romans 8, it almost sounds identical. It is almost the same exact words. You can take it and lay it side by side with what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and these things are, are parallels with one another. When he's talking about groaning and longing, this isn't the idea of a man dying in his bed and 
are, are, are being shot and, and they're moaning and groaning. Instead, this is the idea of a man on running a marathon and he's, and he's getting near to the end of the marathon and he can see at the very end and there, there is the finish line and, he is, and he's digging and, and there at the end of the marathon, he, he digs down for a little bit more and he runs a little bit harder and digging a little bit more and running a little bit harder. He begins to groan and dig and dig as he can see, as he can see the finish line. At the end. And so in Paul's mind, in Paul's mind, he's saying, look, as, you in, as you're in this tent, and now as you can see the end, as you can, as you can see the, the threshold of glory there, as you can see the threshold of an eternal building on the horizon, dig and groan and long and give it everything that you've got for the glory of Christ. For God has prepared you. God has prepared you. So I think the question, the question of application here is, what can we do who are dying? See, the thing is, is that every single one of us are dying. It's just that we're at different stages of the process. We're at different stages of the process. Some of you are young and you're dying, and some of you are older and you're dying. Some of you are young and you're close to dying and some of you are older and you're close to dying. Some of you are older and you're far from dying and some of you are young and you're far from dying, but all of you are dying. And the question is, is what can we do who are dying? And I think the answer from our text is, is we can allow God to prepare us. We can allow God to prepare us. We can lean in and groan and moan and say, Holy Spirit, as our guarantee, Holy Spirit, who indwells us, come and inhabit me and fill me and take control of my life. Take full control that I might be obedient to you and be filled for you, by you and not grieve you in my life. Holy Spirit, let me come under complete influence of you in my life that I might look more like Christ that I might be more prepared for death, that I might look more and more, live more and more to the pleasure of God in my life. See, there's something ironic here, isn't there? Is that the Spirit is our guarantee for death, the future after death, but it's the Spirit that awakens us to life. It's the Spirit that gives us new life it's the Spirit that awakens us to a new birth in Christ. It's the Spirit that allows us to be born again. It's the Spirit that awakens us and convicts us of our sins. It's the Spirit that opens our, our eyes that we can see Christ anew. In, in uh, Romans 8, 6, it says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I think you can say this, I think yet your security in Christ in this life will be directly proportional to your control by the Spirit in this life. In Romans 8, you know what it says? 
It says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Language almost identical to what it says now. That we are groaning, that we are longing for the age to come. Groaning and longing that we might put on something that is, that is going to swallow up this death for us. You see, brothers and sisters, you are never more alive than when you are full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and operating by the power of the Spirit. See, some of you, you feel as though you can't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God because life seems like it has passed you by. Or you feel as though you are too busy or you feel as though you are too old, or you feel as though you are too young, or you feel as though you are too sick, or you feel as though you are too disabled, or too handicapped, or too this, or too that. But here is the truth. Here is the truth, is that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the glory of the Holy Spirit, that you, you even as you draw near to death, can never be more alive than when you come under the Spirit the influence of the Holy Spirit. That if you will just go where the Spirit says go and do what the Spirit says do and read the word that the Spirit has given to us, that you can be sick and be more alive. That you can be disabled and be more alive. You can be handicapped and more alive. You can have cancer and be more alive. Because even though your tent may be shutting down, the Spirit of God can be awakening you. The Spirit of God can be awakening you to the realities of the glories of God in ways that you have never seen Him. And you can pray, you can pray your family into revival. And you can pray your community into revival. You can pray people into salvation. I watched, I told the story at his funeral of how Edwin Lester did that when he couldn't go out and evangelize. Oh, brothers and sisters, life, true life, true inward life has nothing to do with this tent and everything to do with the Spirit of God. Groan inwardly and lean toward the finish line. Obey and operate under the influence of the Spirit. Your future has been secured by Christ. The second the second word that I want us to lock in is in the second movement that we see in our text, which I think comes from verses 6 through 8. And that word that I want us to lock in on is the word home. The word home. In verses 6 through 10, you, so, so in verses 5 through 10, you kind of get these three, four statements summarized in verse 5. And then in verses 6 through 10, you get these two so's, one in verse 6 and one in verse 9. So this first movement comes in verses six through eight, this first so statement. It says, so we are of good, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And what I want us to see is that Christ's advent secures our home. 
our home. Can you imagine what home must have meant to Paul? Can you imagine what home must have meant to Paul? Paul was a Jew, but the Jews disowned him. Paul was a Roman citizen, but the Romans executed him. Paul was a missionary church planner. And so even though within the Christian community, though he was beloved and though he had close disciples, he didn't have a church family to call home. No, Paul, Paul, he was always looking to another home. He was always, he always was, was looking over the horizon of earth and over the horizon of this life. He was always looking beyond here to a, another home, to a greater home, to a, a celestial home. Home meant the world to Paul, and it was because of home that he was able to endure stonings and shipwrecks. It was because of home that Paul was able to endure all of the aches and all of the pains and all of the death threats. It was because of home. Home meant the world to Paul. And though he talks about home a lot, he uses it here as, as a metaphor for the physical body. And so he is actually saying for the body, so long as I'm here in this body, so long as I'm here in this home, I'm not really at the home I want to be. So, so long as I'm at home here, I'm not with the Lord. I'm not in my real home. I'm, I'm still in my earthly tent. I'm not yet in the building that God has prepared for me. And so what Paul is acknowledging is a tension that he lives in and that we all know. He's acknowledging something that every single one of us will battle over the course of our lives. He's, he's acknowledging something that every single one of us will shed tears over. He's acknowledging something that every single one of us will battle insomnia over. That his eyes tell him that he's dying. But his faith tells him that he's coming to life. His eyes tell him that he's getting older. But his faith Tell him that he's coming newer. His eyes tell him that he's being destroyed, but his faith tell him, tells him that he's more than a conqueror. And so Paul, Paul develops a sermon. He develops a sermon that he preaches to himself and a sermon that he preaches to the church at Corinth. He develops a sermon about good, about Good courage that he preaches to himself that allows him to endure the lashings and the stonings and the, and the shipwrecks that he endures. He had develops a sermon that will allow him to later say that whether I am high or I am low, whether I have much or I have little, I am able to be content in all things. You see, brothers and sisters, our sight tells us That things are coming apart. Our sight tells us that things are unraveling around us, but our faith assures us that things are coming together. 
Our sight tells us that we are dying, but our faith tells us that death is the beginning of true life. Our sight tells us that we are unraveling, but our faith tells us that everything is under control. Our sight tells us that our pain is pointless, our lives are hopeless, and our eternity is loveless. But our faith says that our pain is working for our good, our lives are turning toward glory, and all things God moves are for the sake of love. I think about Edwin Lester, who walked with our Lord for over 70 years. And in the last days of his life, he couldn't get comfortable in his bed. And his family is there at his bedside, and they're, they're caring for him so faithfully and loving him so wonderfully. And they just say, Cody, we're, we're ready that our daddy can just go home. We know that he's ready if he can just go home. Think about Scott Johnson this week. This past week, Scott buried his mom and his dad on Friday. They died within 24 hours of one another. Married for 64 years, served God's church as ministers of the gospel for over 30 years. Scott told me, he said, Cody, they were in such bad shape. I was, I was praying that they could just go home. They could just go home. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't you see the power of home? Don't you see the power of home? Home secured by Christ gives us the good courage that we need to face all of the brokenness that we will know in this world. Home secured for us by the Christ that came and the Christ that died and the Christ was raised allows us to face death in this life and all of the grief that it brings and all of the pain that it brings. And it allows us to face it with a good courage that allows us to not lose hope and to not lose heart and to say that, Dad, you can go and be with your Lord and Mom. You can go and be with your Lord and we're okay. See, when you know where home is, when you know where home really is, you can bury your daddy and you can bury your mama in the same week. And you'll grieve and the pain will be real. But you will grieve as one with hope. When you know where home is, and home is secure. You can leave this home and go and move your family somewhere else and plant a church somewhere else and go on mission somewhere else with little kids. Because you're living for another home. It gives you the good courage you need to go and to do what needs to be done for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When you know where home is, you can be deployed for the mission of Jesus Christ in your neighborhood and share the gospel with your neighbors because even if they turn on you and even if they don't like you because you love them enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ, this isn't home. That is home and that home has been secured. And so you can live here with good courage. See, knowing where home is gives you the good courage to live here. Gives you the good courage to live here.
And you can keep going in the face of incredible odds and in the face of incredible pain if you just know where you get to come home to. Oh, brothers and sisters, the advent of Christ, the advent of Christ has secured your home. And He's coming back for you in power and glory from grace to grace. He's coming back for you and He's going to bring you home. He's going to bring you home. The last movement we see is in verses 9 and 10. The second, the, the second so statement. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what, we, what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the word that I want us to zero in on here is the word receive. The word receive. The question I want to ask us here is, should we hate these tents that we have? Should we hate these tents? These tents, they hurt. They ache. They get sick. They die. We look at people that we love and they hurt so bad. And it hurts us so bad to see them hurt so bad. We, we, we look at people that we love and we know that, that, that it's just not them anymore. We watch as dementia takes over and it, and it just strikes us down, doesn't it? We watch as the years pass on and as the years pass on, it, it changes them. We watch as people that we love are overcome with depression and despair. We watch, we watch as addiction overcomes. We watch it, we just, we wonder, oh God, oh God, what, what are we to do? And so we hear Paul talking and we, and we, we just say, oh, oh Lord Jesus, won't you come quickly? And we should, we should pray with, we, we should pray John, with John that, that prayer. And we begin to wonder, maybe Plato had it right. Maybe we should loathe these bodies. Should, should we hate these tents that we have? But in fact, in fact, that is the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. That is the exact opposite of what Paul is teaching here. In fact, when we land on verses 9 and 10, what Paul is wanting them to see and what Paul is wanting us to see is that this life in these bodies, in these tents, has a God-given dignity and has a God-given weightiness. That the life that you have in this tent with whatever ailments that you face, with whatever brokenness that you know, is still a grace to you. It's still a gift to you. He says that it's in these bodies, it's in these bodies for the good and the bad that we will face the Lord on His judgment seat. It's in these bodies, the good and the bad, that we will be judged. It is in these bodies that we will receive a commendation for the Lord and a reward from the Lord. Or it is in the, these bodies and the things that we have done that we will receive judgment and wrath from the Lord. It is in these bodies. It is in this tent that we will be judged for the trajectory of eternity. 
It is in these bodies in which you can meet God and know God and establish relationship with God. It is in these bodies that you are revealed to be a child of God or not a child of God. It is in these bodies for which you will give an account before God before our, for all eternity. It is in these bodies. So there is a dignity for this life. There is a dignity for your 60, 70, 80 years now that you will answer for for the next 80 billion years. Your time now is a gift to you from God. And you will receive for which you are owed forever what is done in these bodies. So the goal here is not to make this life as short as you can make it. It is not to wish away your years. It is not to get through it as quickly as you can or to numb your mind so that you can not think about it. It is not to drain away your time or to get to retirement and, and to just kind of coast as far as you can coast. No, it is to maximize God's grace to you in this life and to maximize the dignity and the God-given weightiness of this life so that you can be rewarded for it in the next life. So that when you get the building from God, you can delight in that building to the max. You see, the word I highlighted was the word receive. The word receive. We find it in verse 10. We find it in verse 10 when he says, You will, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. You see, the idea of receiving what I am due is a terrifying reality. It terrifies me. At the end of Matthew chapter 25, when the nations are gathered before Christ and the Olivet Discourse and they're going to be separated between goats and sheep, he says that he's going to, to separate them based upon what they've done. He said they're all going to look the same. All the nations, all the languages, all the, na all the races, they're all going to look the same. He said, the question is going to be, did you clothe me when I was cold? Did you, did you give me a, a cup of water when I was thirsty? Did you, did you feed me when I was hungry? What did you do? And it's because, not because what you do merits your salvation, but because what you do evidences your salvation. I said that what, what, I, what I am due scares me, and it's because I know what I am due is the wrath of God. What I am due is condemnation from God. What I am due is the judgment of God. But on that day, I won't get what I'm due. I will really get what Christ is due. And I will receive what Christ is due because in Christ's advent, He received what I was due. I will be credited with His righteousness and any good I've done in my body, any person that I've fed in my body, any person that I've given drink in my body, any person I've clothed in my body, I will receive as commendation. Not because it was pure motive, not because it was purely good, but because I get what Christ is due and I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. Because Christ's advent, Christ's advent made my life matter. Do you see this? 
Jesus came and Jesus came and because he came, he replaced, he took all that was wrong with me and he received all that I was due so that one day in his return, seated upon his judgment seat, when I am before him, I might receive what he is due. Plus everything good that I had ever done. So my life went from being one do all wrath, one that was worthless, one in which the scriptures say it would have been better that I was never born into a life that actually mattered, a life that was worth living. You see, brothers and sisters, should I hate this life? No, I should love this life. I should seize every day because Jesus came and Jesus' life, Jesus' advent made my life worth living. And Jesus' life, for all of you who are in Christ, for all of you who know Christ, for all of you who walk with Christ, for all of you who are covered in the grace of Christ, for all of you who know the mercy of Christ, for all of you who are covered in the righteousness of Christ, He made your life matter. Go in grace. Serve in grace. Seize every second because every second you are stacking up for yourself a commendation to be delighted in and the building for all eternity. Jesus made your life matter, not just now in the dignity of this moment, but in the wonder and in the glory for all eternity in the second advent. Can we glory in Christ this morning, church? Let's pray together.